Chapter 9, The Fight for a Life of Righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8 I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In the passage above, Paul describes his life lived out in Christ in the form of five Fs, fought, fight, finished, faith, and future. These five Fs highlight what a life committed to Christ will become like and the prize that awaits all those that live this life out. There is a crown of righteousness that awaits all those who live out this life of righteousness by faith in Christ. We have already looked at what it means to be righteous in Christ in previous chapters. Living a life of righteousness is different from being righteous. Living a life of righteousness is a life that lives in right alignment to God in all areas by faith in Jesus Christ. I have fought the good fight. The battle is over. Even though Paul uses words like fought and fight and how he has fought a good fight, it's important to realize that the battle has been won by Christ and that the battle is over. The enemy got defeated at Calvary, and he knows this. Hence, he uses deception, lies, and temptation as his weapon to lead us astray. This is why the emphasis for us as God's people is to live out a victorious life of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 56-58 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is why the true fight is the fight of the spirit versus the flesh. If we are still living from our flesh, we will never live a life of righteousness out. We have been made right by Christ so that we can live out a life of righteousness. Living a life of righteousness is what the fight is really about and what the enemy is trying to lead us astray from through his lies and deception. 1 Peter 2, 24-25 And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. A life of righteousness is a life that lives in right alignment to God in all areas, whether it be in the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, or the works of the Spirit. A life of righteousness operates in absolute accuracy to the Father's ways and mode of operation. This life doesn't operate from its own strength or its own initiative. A life of righteousness only does what it sees the Father doing, and it operates from being sent and not because it sees the need. The scriptures teach us that all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproach, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness so we could live out this life of righteousness just like he did. This is what we are to be imitating, 
a life of righteousness to receive the crown of righteousness. This is what Paul was fighting for, and he fought a good fight of righteousness. Because Jesus has defeated past, present, and future sin and iniquity, our sin and iniquity doesn't stop us from living out this life of righteousness. Jesus washed our slate clean and broke the power of our sinful nature so we can live this life out now, today, tomorrow, and forever. It's his grace that empowers and enables this life of righteousness. The fight for righteousness. This is the fight that Paul was in. It was a fight to live out a life of righteousness in Christ. This is the fight that we are all to be in. Jesus has won the battle for righteousness. It's just whether we know what's been won and whether we are living in the victory of this. No matter what the flesh, the world and the enemy may throw at us, when we are in this life of righteousness, this life within us is greater than the trials and the tribulations. This life of righteousness is a life of power. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-10 But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. This is exactly what I'm talking about. We have his glory in us so that the demonstration of the life we live is of God's power and not our own. Afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Did we capture all of this? This is a life of righteousness being lived out in the face of much opposition. There is a fight, but the battle has been won. And when this becomes our reality, we live in accuracy to this. Do you believe this life is for you? Do you believe you can come into this life and live this life out? What keeps us from this life of righteousness and being able to live it out is a lack of revelation of Christ. And because of this lack of revelation, we have wrong mindsets that continue to keep us small and incapable of living out lives of righteousness. Here is another example of a life of righteousness expressed. 1 Peter 2, 18-25 Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, Sorry. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself, who judges righteously, 
and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed, for you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. 1 Peter 4, 12-14 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are revived for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When we are in Christ, the enemy and our flesh cannot stop us coming into this life, even though they may try. The power of Christ is so much greater than the flesh or the enemy. And although Satan may try and throw everything but the kitchen sink at us and tempt us in every way possible, we have the ability through Christ in us to resist and stand firm. The battle is over, but the fight for living a life of righteousness is on. And if we keep the faith as Paul did, we will find ourselves living out this life while we are here on earth. We will not get taken out by our flesh or the schemes of the enemy. We have to ask ourselves, are we in this fight for righteousness? Jesus taught us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We see him also teach us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Why are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness satisfied? Because they have discovered and entered the life Jesus died for them to discover, as we looked at in 1 Peter 2, 24. If we are not seekers first of his kingdom and righteousness, then how are we ever going to live out a life of righteousness? We will be tossed to and fro like a small boat that finds itself being pounded by the waves of the sea, being torn apart by the pressure and force of the natural forces. Added to these natural forces, the flesh, we have a spiritual adversary who is the best in his kingdom at deception and sleight of hand. Invited to live out a life of righteousness. The battle is won, but the fight is for a life of righteousness demonstrated and lived out. Paul is fully aware of the spiritual fight that exists between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light for this life of righteousness. And his life had been laid down to take up his spiritual arms in this fight. It was Paul who wrote these powerful words below to Timothy as a demonstration of the life he was living out. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul is inviting Timothy into the same fight. Timothy heard the call and responded. How many of us, firstly, are even aware that there is a spiritual fight going on between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light for a life of righteousness? Secondly, how many of us are actually enlisted as soldiers in this fight? Many followers would agree in principle that there is a fight going on, but whether the many are actively involved and fighting the good fight in alignment to God is another thing. There are other followers who think it is their role to defeat the enemy, not knowing that the enemy has been defeated. 
and they too are unable to live this life of righteousness out because when they are squeezed or tested by pressure, what comes forth is their flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. The sad thing is most of these people have no reality of this and continue to live as they always have, never recognizing their lack. They tend to blame the enemy or others for what they are going through and so stay in this victim state their whole life. This is what Psalm 127.2 states when it says, It is in vain to eat the bread of painful labors. And Colossians 2.23 says that certain practices have the appearance of wisdom, but is just self-made religion, self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, which have no value against fleshly indulgence. Do you consider yourself to be a soldier of Jesus Christ? As a soldier of Jesus, are we suffering hardship with him to see his kingdom expressed in and through the church to the world, or are we in fact entangled in the affairs of everyday life, the very thing we are counseled not to be in? If we are entangled in human affairs, then how can we be pleasing to the one who enlisted us as a soldier? Can I suggest we won't? Maybe this is why Paul took the time to teach on marriage in 1 Corinthians 7 and to give his wise counsel in this area. Paul knew that getting married could divide our focus and attention if we are not wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. Jesus also taught on getting entangled in everyday life in Matthew 13 in relation to the message of the seed. He said that there are people who hear the word, but because of pressure, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, the word gets choked and becomes unfruitful. I wonder if this is us. These people spend so much of their time being consumed with themselves and living for self that they never enter the good fight that Jesus has enlisted us for. The hardships that these people face can all be self-inflicted because of what they give their attention to. 1 John 5, 4-5 For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is not some casual, half-hearted belief where we acknowledge with our mouth we believe, but our hearts are disconnected. This belief is a living, convictional belief that changes our lives and has us living an overcoming life, being empowered by the Spirit of Truth. This is also not some faith where we hope Jesus is going to come through for us, but it is a faith that sees in the realm of the Spirit and acts in accordance to what it sees. The one who has faith and believes is the one who overcomes and possesses what Jesus won at Calvary. Paul knew this victorious life in Christ, even though in the physical, he was on many occasions very harshly treated by his fellow countrymen. The overcoming life is not about our life in Christ all going well, but whether we can withstand and overcome the trials and tribulations that come our way and not be taken out by them. Many in the early church considered it an honor to be persecuted for fighting the good fight of faith in Christ. Acts 5, 40-42 They took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. These men were motivated by the most powerful substance known to mankind, love. The receiving of the Father's love through the power of the Holy Spirit is the reason these men fought this type of fight and considered it worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. The love of God is all-consuming, and once infected with it, a person and a people group no longer walk in the fear of loss, because perfect love casts out all fear. These men knew that it was through the spiritual battle of fighting the good fight of faith that an eternal life in Christ was released. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The eternal life is a now life. The eternal realm and eternity are very different realities. Eternity is to speak of something in the future, but the eternal realm is something that is to be operating within us now. It is the very life of Christ himself. This is the life of righteousness. This is why the Bible says to know Jesus is eternal life and that those who hate their brother do not have eternal life abiding in them. Jesus loved and gave his life for all people. If his eternal life is operating within us, how can we hate not only a brother, but anyone? This is why Paul said that he fought the good fight of faith. It is through this fight of faith that this eternal life is formed and produced in us. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. The words of Paul. Knowing the race that is set before us. These two statements go hand in hand with one another. To have finished the course that God had set out for Paul, the course of righteousness, he had to have kept the faith. There is no different for us too. For the church to finish the course that God has mapped out for her, we too must keep the faith. Not any faith, but biblical faith. We will look at this kind of faith after we have looked at finishing the course. Romans 14 teaches us that the kingdom of God has nothing to do with eating or drinking, meaning the natural, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say that whatever is not from faith is sin. Sin means to miss the mark, to miss the standard that one was created to hit. Jesus died for our sin and iniquity and the power of it, so we can live to this new standard by faith in Jesus Christ. Just taking a drink. Paul said he no longer lives, but the faith he now lives, he lives by faith in Jesus. When we live by faith in Jesus Christ, we are now able to hit the mark. We no longer find ourselves missing the mark, but hitting the mark, because our faith in is in that. We no longer find ourselves missing the mark, but hitting the mark, because our faith is in him. He enables and empowers us to live to this new standard of living called righteousness, a life of righteousness lived out by faith in Christ. It is critical we capture this reality and know the course we have been called to run in. To finish the course, one must know the course they are on. Paul was fully aware of what God's will was for the church 
and the role God had graced him for within this course. Paul shares this with us in the epistles he wrote. I love the confidence that Paul has in making this absolute statement about finishing. Notice he doesn't say, I am nearing the end of the course, but that I have finished the course. All athletes who compete in a race know exactly the prize they are competing for and know exactly what needs to be done to win that prize. For an athlete to give up or stop running in the race they are in is to give up the opportunity of receiving the prize. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 9 that he disciplined his body and made it his slave so that after he preached to others, he himself would not be disqualified from receiving the crown of righteousness. If the apostle Paul could be disqualified for not finishing the race and missing out on the crown of righteousness, then we can be too. What is so encouraging is that Paul knew he had done all that God had asked of him. And he said that if anyone else who finishes their race will also receive the same crown. Do we know what God's will for the church is? And as the body of Christ, are we living our lives in accordance to his will? Have we discovered how our very lives fit into and align with his will or purpose for his church? How can we finish the course that God has set out for his church if we, his people, don't know what his course is for us? When I say for us, I mean as a body first and as an individual second. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had a joy for the race that was set before him. He knew the Father's will for the church, hence he laid his life down and played his part to see it established. Jesus said, I am here to do the will of the one who sent me. Paul also knew the will of the Father for the church and the part he was to play in the Father's will. Romans 12 verse 2 teaches us that if our minds are being renewed, then we will not only know the will of God, but we will be proving it by the demonstration of our lives. Hebrews 10, 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. If one does not know God's will for his body, then how can one finish the course that God has laid out for them? Our life is not our own as a follower of Jesus. Gone are the days where we are living for ourselves and looking for this individualistic will of God for me. Yes, the body is made up of individuals, but individuals who live for something far greater than themselves. As individuals, we are now living for the body and to see the body become the perfect bride. This is the life we are to be imitating. Ask yourself if this is you. If one does not know God's will, then how can one prove it that it is good and perfect. One cannot, so they are running some other course than the one Jesus and Paul finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, we need to know what was finished. Everything that Jesus accomplished at Calvary was in an alignment to the course we are to be running. 
We are not to be all over the place running different courses, even though how God outworks things in our lives may be different. The call on John the Baptist was different to the call on the Apostle Paul, and the call on the Apostle Paul was different to the call on the Apostle John, and yet they were all running in an alignment to the same course that had already been set before them. God may give us all different assignments while we are here on the earth, and they may appear to be completely opposite to one another, but they are all interconnected because they are all connected to the race that is set before us. The race that Jesus, Paul, John, Abraham, Moses, etc. ran is the same race we are all running. This is why the great cloud of witnesses are cheering us on until we all come in and finish the race set before us. Otherwise, they cannot be made perfect. We live in a world today where followers of Jesus say, I don't need to be part of a church to be a follower of Jesus. The problem with this mindset and belief system is that followers of Jesus are not really following Jesus unless they are connected and part of a body because Jesus is all about his church, his body being built. He is the head of it. The church is the body of Christ. The body, the church, is made up of individual followers. God's will and purpose is for his church, his people. So if we are not an active part of his body, the church, then how can we accomplish his will? We can't. So we end up living for this individualistic purpose in his name, which isn't rewarded on judgment day. The reward that we receive as individuals is because our laborer or our labor is connected to the macro will of God, the building of his body the church, and not my own personal plan or purpose. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-9 I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I am not saying we're not saved by his grace if we carry this Lone Ranger mindset, but we must realize we're not following Christ to the measure he has called us to. If we are truly following Jesus, he will lead us into being a committed part of his body, his family, because this is part of his will for us, and we will learn to be interdependent on one another so we all finish our course well and together. We must also realize that just because we attend services or gatherings on a particular day does not mean we are part of the body. We can be physically present but not present at all with what God is doing in and through a people. Our physical attendance only has relevance if it is united and connected into the heartbeat and life source of what God is doing in that body. Unfortunately, there are too many followers of Jesus who are sitting on the sidelines thinking their attendance is what it means to be part of a body when in fact it doesn't mean anything at all. I have kept the faith, Paul said. Faith gives us a reference point for what is in fact in front of us. To keep the faith, we must have biblical understanding of what faith actually is according to the living word. 2 Corinthians 4.13 But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, 
we also believe, therefore we also speak. Hebrews teaches us that God is the author and perfecter of faith. The scripture doesn't say our faith, but faith. God is the author and perfecter of biblical faith. God, as the author, wrote down for us what faith is, and he is perfecting us towards this faith. We must position ourselves to come into the living reality of this faith in Christ. We looked at this in the previous chapters. If God is doing this perfecting work of righteousness, then we will have incredible sight to see the finish. It's the sight that enables us to finish the course. Faith sees the race that is set before her. Faith manifests the future in the present. Faith gives us a reference point for what's in front and not behind. Jesus was always foretelling his disciples what was going to happen. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. So just like money is the currency of the world that enables us to purchase goods and services, faith is the currency of the kingdom of God that enables us to access all the resource in the kingdom. Faith empowers us to live righteousness out. Biblical faith enables us to access resource from the kingdom of God now, which births an eternal life within us and through us. Jesus said to the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 and the Roman centurion in Matthew 8 that they had great faith. They had a powerful ability to see what was accessible in the kingdom of God and they acted in accordance to it. Great faith has nothing to do with physical genealogies or bloodlines, laws or rules, nationality, colour, culture, what gender you are or political views or our fleshly struggles. The woman and the Roman centurion who are Gentiles tapped into a spiritual dimension, the kingdom, which they are not supposed to be able to tap into, or were they? Romans 4, 13-17 This is a powerful passage of truth which we must all contend for in God until we come into the reality of it. Romans 4.13-17 says this, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. The woman and the centurion knew of the reality above and operated from it. They knew the ability to operate from faith had nothing to do with physical limitations and everything to do with a limitless spiritual dimension. This is the faith that Paul fought for, and it was this faith that would have him seeing and receiving the future promises of God for his life. This is the faith that will see us imitating Paul as he imitate Jesus. Future inheritance now. Paul could see the future reality now. Look at his words. He knows there is a crown for living a life of righteousness to be gained, and he knows he has gained it. What confidence he has in Christ. And then he makes this profound statement as well. 
He says, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. If this is our reality as well, stop. Is this our reality as well? Have we arrived at the place, Paul, where we are so confident of the life we have lived in Christ that we can say we can't wait for his appearing? 1 John 2, 28. Now, little children, abide in him. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Why would one shrink back from him in shame at his coming? It is because this one has not come into the abiding life in Christ, which brings with it a confidence in Christ. We are ultimately afraid of what his coming is bringing, and we through, through the lens of fear and loss instead of anticipation of the reward he comes with, knowing it is for us. Paul uses the words, will reward me on that day. The day he is referring to is the judgment day of Christ for the church. We will all stand before Christ and be judged for the lives we have lived. The fire of God will go through us all and we will be rewarded for our own faithfulness and obedience to Christ with a crown of righteousness. Some will suffer loss on this day and unfortunately miss out on this reward because they failed to live out this life of righteousness. The good news is that this doesn't have to be the case. We can have an absolute confidence and assurance that on this day we will receive our reward because of the love we have known and the life of righteousness through faithfulness and obedience we have lived out. 1 John 4, 17-18 By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but path. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. The key to this confidence in Christ is knowing and receiving the love of the Father. To have his love being perfected within us casts out all fear. So to not have this love being perfected within us causes us to fear and shrink back from his appearing, because we believe he will punish us. Faith enables us to see with clarity and precision, so we are found in the posture of love. We sense shame and ultimately don't want to, him to return because we are in fear of the consequences this all brings. This is incredibly sad as the Father desires us to know him because he is love and he casts out all of our fear. He desires us to long for his appearance and to receive the crown of righteousness that he desires to give to all those who have loved his appearing and lived a life of righteousness. It's not too late for any of us. We can start this reality right now, today. It's as simple as receiving his forgiveness for our pride, repenting of this posture and walking into a brand new direction, the direction of the Spirit. Jesus gave his life that we might live out this life of righteousness and receive the crown of righteousness. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, 
nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. This is the good fight that Paul fought for himself and the church. And this is the fight we are to be imitating. The end.